0: LifeWay Lifeway. Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the 5 Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today, I'm here with Clay Scroggins. What's happening, Todd? He has been on the podcast once before. He has answered the five questions. And it was really good. We were actually just reminiscing about that conversation. Uh, a little bit before the podcast, cause it was a time with, um, me, him and Daniel and, uh, R- RIP. I, uh, yeah, I know <laughs> he's back in Canada, man. He went back went back. I mean, people from Texas always go back to Texas. They do. Yeah, they do. But uh, you know, people from Canada, they I, seem to stay, they stay, <laughs> But he went back. I can't blame him. You can't blame him. Uh, If you'd like to still hear Daniel, he is on the New Churches podcast, which is part of the Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. Um, So check that out. Okay. So, Clay. Yes. We have compared notes. You have many children like I do. Yeah. Uh, Tell us more about yourself. Yeah.
1: Uh, Grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They play football there. I they love their football there. <laughs> I, went to, I moved to Atlanta in 1998 to study engineering at Georgia Tech. I was terrible at it. I stuck it out, though. Uh-huh. Made a deal with the registrar, give me this degree. I promise you I will never use it. And I stayed good. I stayed good on the, I stayed true. I stayed true to my word. I've never used it.
0: What was your lowest GPA during college? Uh, Probably
1: when I graduated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It started. I mean, per semester. Like, Uh, did you have any really rough semesters? Yeah,
1: I did. I failed, I had a semester where I failed two classes, physics two and uh, circuits and electrical engineering class. And so I think I probably made like a one eight that semester. Right. I had a scholarship, this this deal that they gave me for being a student from Alabama, because there weren't many of those that went to Georgia Tech, and right. you had to keep a 3.0. And I, I had one my first semester. I never had one after that. And I had to go every semester. I had to go talk to somebody and be like, look, I am hustling. I'm on that grind. <laughs> I am going to get this up next semester, please. And they let me keep it all the way. I think at the very end, they finally said, enough's enough. I'm
0: like year six,
1: <laughs> five and a half. I did five and a half. I did. Five. Uh, you did? Yeah. Um. What did What did you major in? You a said philosophy, philosophy, and rhetoric. rhetoric. Did yeah. you take a lot of like speaking in front of other people, rhetoric classes, or yeah. more like putting together?
0: No. Uh, well, those two things dovetail really well yeah. together. Like that's the combo if you want to crush the LSAT. So okay. I thought I was going to do long. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but it. What really happened was, I pretty much. Uh, I I had a one two after my first semester. Okay, managed to pull that all the way up to a one seven my second semester.
1: Can't knock the hustle.
0: Uh, and then so after that, I was like, okay, what am I good at? Uh, what classes am I doing well in? And it happened to be speech and mm-hmm. philosophy. And so you I were just switched the guy.
1: Measures. You were the guy on team projects that was like, I don't want to do anything, but when we get to the end and somebody needs to present, I'll present. I was that guy. Yeah. I can tell.
0: I did uh I hadn't competed in high school, but in college I ended up doing um debate. Yeah. Really? Yeah, well, I didn't do debate cuz that like requires preparation. Mm. I did uh duos and impromptu duos. poetry and prose. I probably shouldn't mm. admit to that. Um yeah, but um that's awesome. But it was good. And, Northern uh, Kentucky, what
1: mascot of Northern Kentucky? Norsemen. Go North. It's the big Norsemen. Dragon.
0: Yeah, they used to win, like, Division II every year, and then they went Division I, and that and hasn't they gone stopped, up for them. they stopped winning it. Yeah. I never went to a a, a game, though. People, frequent listeners know that um, I don't really do sports. I love sports, but
1: uh, we're not talking about sports here. We're not talking about sports. We're, not
0: talking, about sports. we're, we're not. talking about leadership. That's right. Okay, so— uh, the last time you were on, you right. had written a book called "How to Lead When You're Not in Charge." Correct, which is a great book, uh, both for uh, whether you consider yourself a leader or tucked somewhere uh, in the organization. <laughs> yeah, that's a good uh, way to put it. it is, if they
1: keep if they keep taking your desk and moving you, and or maybe stealing your stapler,
0: yes, um, then this book is for you. It is, but I would say we are all. Uh, somewhat beholden to somebody, even if it's our elders That's or, right. um, or or whatever. I mean, this is a this podcast is a mix of church leaders and business leaders, and um, so I would say, and mom 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 entrepreneurs. How do you say that? A mom entrepreneur. How do you combine
1: that? A mom mom wow mom entrepreneur. Let's do. I've that. never heard that. Did you just make that up on the spot?
0: Perhaps. Wow. I think you did because you said it better than I did. <laughs> Pinterest. Um, all right. So the, the big thing there is uh, considering your new book, which is how to lead in a world of distraction. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So truth be told, I have not gotten to look at the new book. I did look at the old book. hmm I do, uh, I did look at um, everything I could find on your new book, which is, uh, has a good bit to do with one of my favorite subjects.
1: Which is? Drum roll.
0: Uh, emotional competence mm, and awareness. Yeah, uh, yeah. As well as just being distracted. Everybody knows that um, probably every three to six months, I'll start talking about trying to find a new gear. <laughs> um, and that means, you know, uh, that's been one of the biggest struggles. Do you know yeah. st- uh, Steve Crocker? Giant no. impact. He's no. got five voices assessment. Oh, it? yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. I know the five voices assessment. Yeah,
0: yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Great tool. Yeah. Uh, he He's busted my chops um, big time about this issue about <clears throat> me not watching television <clears throat> uh, and a bunch of different things because he's like, hey, number one, you're just prideful because uh, the things that you do aren't, the things that you're addicted to aren't sinful, but they're still sinful. Well, yeah. So and we got into emotional intelligence. We got into busyness because I am addicted. addicted. To, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah.
1: I, I think the common things we think of when we think of addiction are alcohol, pills, whatever. Yeah. But any anything can be a drug. Everything is a drug. I mean, everything is something that we use to, I would say, distract ourselves. And I think that's what I'm learning about distraction is that we actually like it more than we think we do. I mean, if you were to just generally say, hey, distraction, good thing, bad thing, most people would be like, oh, it's a bad thing. Right. But we actually, uh, we use it. We use it because it keeps us from having to pay attention to those things we don't want to feel. And every single one of us has our finger on the knob. We're all reaching for something when we feel something we don't want to feel. And that's really what this book is about. It's not about... um, you know, I, the the word distraction is such a prevalent term right now in our world because we are such a distracted society. But the book's really about what's on the other side of distraction—that's discovery mm-hmm. or emotional awareness, uh, being more in tune with what's really going on inside of you, so that you can grow as
0: a leader. Okay. Well, okay. Let's talk. Uh, let's let's do five different questions. That we okay. Did the first time. Let's do it. Because uh, I want to ask you about this issue. Everybody listening to this knows that they are distracted and has a problem, it's just, you know, pick your poison. So what's at risk here if we don't deal with this? Because you're talking about, hey, here's what's on the other side of this. We are sacrificing something on the altar of distraction. Yeah. What is that?
1: Yeah. Can I just tell a quick story that uh, might illustrate what's at risk? Um, Okay. I was sitting in my boss's office about, it's probably about a year ago. And I had one of those weird moments, rare for me. I've never cried at work, but I was dealing with some stuff. Actually, I had some stuff happening inside of me that I wasn't dealing with. I was just distracting myself from it. We had a lot of things changing within our organization. Uh, We were really trying to figure out what metrics we should be looking at. We were looking at why some measurables weren't going as well as we thought. And I had this stuff inside of me that um, I didn't even realize was there because I was masking it or avoiding it. So I'm sitting in front of my boss and I felt that emotion start to come up inside of me. And I thought, I said to it, you know, no, no, not now. Now it's not a good time. Right. And then the emotion just came out. I started sobbing in front of my boss, which was uh, quite embarrassing. Um, I've never, I'm not opposed to crying at work and no shame or no shade on anyone who has cried at work, right. but that's just not something I had done before. And it was one of those awkward things. You, you're, you're in the, you know, the at least the parachurch world, but you you understand ministry well enough to know when you're sitting in front of someone who's crying, you're, it's always so tricky. What are you supposed to do? You know, do right. you get up and give them a hug? Do you tell them a joke? Do you try to distract them? Um, and he had, he was doing all of those things. Um, the worst moment was when my, my boss, who is a pastor, said to me, who is a pastor, hey, can I pray for you? I said, no, <laughs> because I was like, I don't, Uh, I don't need that right now. I I need to go. So over the next week or so, and he kept asking me, you know, is everything okay? Is everything? And I kept saying, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, even though I knew everything is not fine, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have this emotional outburst like this at work. Um, so it took me about, I would say about two weeks to really turn down the noise low enough and long enough to actually pay attention to what was going on inside of me. And... I would say that's what's at stake is that your emotions want to own you. Uh, Your emotions will wreak havoc in your life. Um, Your emotions, particularly your unprocessed emotions, they go into the basement of your soul and do push ups. That's what they do. They just go get stronger. And that's probably what's at stake is that you just can't grow. Your capacity as a leader is dictated by your trend line emotionally. And if you're not growing as a leader, you're not, if you're not growing emotionally, you can't grow as a leader. Um, They go hand in hand, peanut butter and jelly. And so if you want to grow as a leader, you've got to trend toward emotional health. That's ultimately what's at stake with all the distractions in our life.
0: So what do you think causes uh, the most distractions for leaders? Uh, I mean, as you've, you know, collected data, research. Yeah. Talking to, to pastors about this book, like, what are some of those things? Well, what I think what
1: causes it are the things we don't want to feel. Um, I do. Do y'all use white noise with your kids? Yes. Um, we crank it up at night.
0: We do. Every every child in my house has a sound some some
1: kind of device. Yeah. Same. And I think it's because we love sleep so much. But it's a <laughs> it's an interesting concept that you turn up noise so that. Ambient random noises don't wake them up. Right. And so it's a it's a device that we use to mask the things we don't want to hear. I feel like distractions are a mask that we use to distract ourselves or to cover up those things we don't want to feel. And so to your question, why do we do it? We do it because we don't want to feel those things inside of us. So if something's unhealthy on your team, if something's broken in your organization, if something's a mess within your church, it's just easier to turn it the distraction. And it's, I would say one of the most difficult things about ministry is that so often uh, ministry itself can be a distraction, that we don't want to work on the health of ourself as a person or the health of our team or the culture of our organization or culture of our church. And so we just spend the day studying on our sermon or spend the day researching something else because we don't wanna have to feel what it is we don't wanna feel. So I think that's why we do it. I think there are some common forms of distraction for leaders that go beyond Facebook and social media and busyness and work, things like that.
0: What are some of those?
1: Well, there's you know you probably could make your own list, but the ones that I see, uh, the ones that are prevalent inside of me, um, the appearance of success, I think is a real common form of distraction. We would rather uh, appear successful than actually be successful in our day and age. So we just when when we don't there's something inside of us we don't want to feel or something in our organization that we want to deal with, we just would rather put on the appearance of success because it's just it just makes us feel better. I think the allure of progress, uh, there is a desire in all of us to want to wanna move down the field, but you know this as well as anyone. Sometimes in leadership, to be able to move forward, you've got to turn around and address some things behind you. Right. Sometimes you have to stop doing some things. I think it's why I liked cutting grass so much um, <laughs> as a, as a teenager and also as an adult, because you can see your progress. I mean, in ministry, it just, you know you get done with a Monday and you just aren't sure. Did I, did I accomplish anything today? Did I move anything down the field? Um, it's amazing. Like for me personally, going and seeing a counselor didn't feel like progress, but it was what I needed to do to be able to move forward and grow. Um, and then thirdly, I would say the, the appeal of certainty leaders have this thing in them that makes us feel like we've got to have all the answers. And I think that can be a distraction because there might be something inside your organization that the best thing you could do with it is to say, I don't know, let's figure it out together. But instead, we would just rather put on this perception that we know or we've got it figured out or we have the answer. And that's a dangerous place to be because when we, when we know it, we stop learning. It's the curiosity of the unknown that really makes us grow and makes us learn.
0: Hmm. All right let's uh i want to kick us over to talking a little bit more about emotional competence and awareness. so what you're talking about isn't exactly i mean, you know, most of our listeners are familiar with like emotional intelligence. sure. what how is this like that and yeah. how's it different because it sounds a little different.
1: well, i would say it's you know, a lot of what led me um, what, what helped me get down the road on this topic was a lot of Daniel Goldman's work on emotional intelligence because he, all of the research that he's done, particularly in primal leadership, which is my favorite yes. Goldman book. Uh, he talks all about, Hey, they've done the studies. They've done the work to try to figure out what is the key differentiator between great leaders. And it's not a hard skill. It's not the ability to, create a pivot table in Microsoft Excel. You know, right. It's not the ability to balance a financial sheet, but the skill is soft. It's a soft skill. It's the right. relational skill. It's what emotional intelligence is, the ability to recognize your own emotions, the the ability to regulate your own emotions, the ability to anticipate others' emotions and to be aware of those. I love that uh, Pete Scazzaro, Emotionally Healthy Leader, yeah, says we're great. probably at best 60% healthy 60% emotionally aware and so we there is a big gap between how much we know about ourselves and how much uh, we and what we think we know about ourselves and the key to emotional intelligence to be able to become a more emotionally intelligent person you have to be an emotionally aware person. but if you're constantly masking what it is you don't want to feel, then of course it's hard to be, An emotionally aware person. Uh, When I was in, I mean, this is a simple, silly illustration, but when I was a broke college student, uh, I drove this Volvo 240DL old school tank and it constantly was broken. And whenever it was making some kind of noise, I usually didn't have the money to go take it to get it fixed. And so what I would do was just turn up the radio because I couldn't hear the noise anymore, (laughs) which is not a great tactic. Um, but too often we're doing the same thing in our lives that when there's an emotion that we need to be aware of so that we can address it. I mean, you can't, you can't address anything that you're not willing to admit. And so if you're not even willing to turn around and look inside and be reflective and be self-introspective and at least, um, courageously admit what's there, you can't deal with it. And too often we would just rather turn up the noise, turn up the volume of the distraction to keep us from having to face what's really going on inside of it. So I think this book's really about emotional awareness, but it's about emotional awareness so that we can become a more emotionally intelligent person because that's what makes a great leader.
0: So what did you learn most from writing this book? I learned that there
1: are habits that there are things you can do. They're never going to feel urgent, uh, but they're some of the most important things that we can do to stay balanced. I like to think of it as um, the the illustration of a noise canceling headphone. Um, do you have any of those? The yeah, yeah. the expensive ones. You know, the, not the expensive <laughs> ones,
0: but I mean, like the Bose, I, yeah, the Sennheiser, not the ones like the I the where like the Cowan or whatever. You go on Amazon and you're like. Amazon Choice. It's got a lot of stars. Uh, it's got a lot of stars. Not as expensive. And it's not four hundred dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, the ones that the the men and women on the on the tarmac, the ones that they wear, those are the cheap version, right? I mean, they're usually just like a thick material that keeps noise from interfering with what they really what what's going on inside of their head. But uh, the 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 bougie ones, the swanky ones, they've got the ability to listen to what's going on outside, then they invert the frequency, play that frequency, which creates at least a a bit of silence, uh, or at least a tolerable amount of silence. We can't actually tolerate complete silence. Uh, That same concept, I think, is what I learned from this, is that there are things we can do to negate the noise. There are things we can do to turn down the noise, Uh, which is what great, I think it's, it is such a habit of great leaders that great leaders turn down the noise low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of their emotions. So if you want to be a great leader, I think you've got to turn it down on a regular basis, habitually, um, in a a rhythm, uh, low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of your emotions. Your emotions are messengers. They're trying to tell you something. And if you just constantly turn up the noise and distract yourself from it, then you're never going to be able to grow. So for instance, for me, when I had that emotional breakdown in front of my boss that I still regret to this day, uh, what I heard inside of me when I finally turned down the noise was this voice of inadequacy, this feeling of I don't have enough or this feeling of I'm not measuring up, this desire uh, to be seen like I have it all together, the desire for my peers to be jealous of me because I, I was successful. All of that was in me And I hadn't addressed it. I was just distracting myself from it. I was just trying to perform my way through it. But there's a way to actually deal with it. In fact, I think inviting God into that process is so much of the answer is, God, how do I deal directly with my inadequacy? How do you want me to handle that? Instead of just trying to get more accolades and trying to gain more achievement, uh, what about dealing directly with it?
0: So, okay, so uh, I love what you said about uh, getting— Ruthless curiosity about this?
1: Yeah, ruthless curiosity. Yeah. So
0: okay, so I I get that. I think I know what that means, but like how does how does all this come together where I'm habitually being <laughs> ruthlessly curious with myself <laughs> yeah. and my emotions yeah. and inviting God into that process. And I mean, what does that look like? Is it, um, are there other people involved? Is there scripture? involved? like, what does that look like at least from your perspective?
1: I was talking to Dave Ramsey about this topic because I I had the chance to ask him a few questions about this, this concept. Mm -hmm. And that guy's been on the radio for 30 years talking to people about their habits. Right. And of course this is not necessarily a book about financial habits, but financial habits certainly are a form of this. I mean we right. there's whatever it is we reach for, that's the thing that we're using to distract ourselves. And so I said, "David, do you see this in your callers?" And he said, "Oh my gosh, I see it all the time." He said, "I was talking to a lady the other day. She had a she, she had a problem buying shoes. She just had so many shoes." He said, "She told me that whenever she opened up her closet, shoes fell out on her." So that's a, that's a definitely an issue. And so Dave says, well, have you ever identified when it is you buy shoes? And he said, she stopped and thought about it. And it was, if it was as if she had never thought about it. Mm-hmm. And she said, huh, every time I drop my kids off at my ex-husband's house, I go buy a pair of shoes. Well, that's a great example that, Somehow, this this wonderful, terrific lady has never connected the dots between her impulsive buying habit right. and that emotional shrapnel from her divorce that is unaddressed. But the same thing is true for every leader. If you're micromanaging your employees, it would be worth getting underneath that to find out why. If you're jealous over a coworker who got a promotion that you didn't get. It would be worth getting underneath that and figuring out what, as opposed to just consistently telling others about your accolades or dominating meetings or being passive aggressive in meetings or um, talking about all of your own achievements. What if you decided to get underneath and say, okay, have I ever really dealt with the jealousy that I feel from my coworkers promotion because we think, well, no one really notices it. That's just my own stuff that I'm dealing with. But (laughs) we all know that's not true. I mean, we can all assess. I mean, you're probably thinking of your coworkers right now thinking, Oh, I know what my coworker needs to go and address or deal with. And you probably can identify your coworkers distraction as well. I mean, I, I, I work with someone that I can think of vividly that, um, he has always had that little brother syndrome, that not the younger brother and the prodigal son, but just the, I guess, the small person syndrome. Um, never felt like a successful, always having to prove right. himself. And it's exhausting to the people around him because um, he squeezes every ounce of achievement or performance out of the people around him. And and a better strategy would be for him to just look in the mirror and go, hey, what would God how would God have me deal directly with that thing that is wreaking emotional havoc in the lives of people around me as opposed to just distracting myself from it? So I think it's a better strategy for leadership.
0: So how does one identify these issues? Is it, I mean, you know, you said, hey, your close friends or coworkers or someone can probably help you do that, but what's your part in it? How How do you figure it out?
1: Well, I think you invite God into it. I think it's King David was so good at saying, search me, oh God. You know, it was like he constantly um, was opening up his heart, his soul in front of God. I think that's the point of prayer. The point of prayer is this two-way conversation, allowing the word of God to be how we evaluate ourselves. So using it as my benchmark, opening it up every morning or every night and saying, God, would you help compare me to this? Tell me where I'm missing it. Tell me where my gaps are. So I think there's a certain amount of prayer that is involved in Psalm 42. The author says, um, why, oh my soul, are you so downcast? Put your hope in God and sing his praises forever. So there's a, you can see this thing in him where he's looking inside going, soul, come on, like get out of this. Let's figure out what's going on inside of you. Uh, But then obviously to your point, we have to invite others in. I mean, for me, Uh, Going to a counselor has been such a huge part of this because um, just the other day there's somebody so we have like a matrix Organization organizational charts. We've got seven campuses in Atlanta. and We've got a central team I found out that somebody from our central team was coming to our campus this Sunday and about the same time I realized that it hit me that I wasn't gonna be there because I'm gonna be out of town this weekend, right? I Got excited. I Thought oh, that's great. They're coming to our campus and I'm not gonna be there there's something unhealthy about that. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was able to identify now that I'm learning some of my own false narratives that I believe trying to find that belief or that, that, that emotion and trying to tie it back to some belief. And so, um, I sat, last Thursday in a counselor's office and had this discussion with him. He goes, Hey, so give me an example. Anything lately you've been feeling that's been bothering you? I said, yeah, I found out this person wasn't going to be at our campus. I found out I wasn't going to be there. I got excited. He kind of chuckled kind of like you did. And he said, that's a great one. Let's, let's dig in. Why do you feel that way? And I'm like, well, uh, they can't be critical of me when I'm not there. He said, all right, that's great. Why, why does it bother you when they're critical? Well, because I feel like it says something about me. Okay. That's really good. Why does it, what does it say about you? Well, it says that I'm you know, not performing like I should be. Okay, is that actually true? Well, I don't, that, then you start really getting to the bottom of what's going on. But the point is, until you turn the noise down, you don't know that that's there. And so instead of letting that emotion wear you out and whip you around and jerk your soul around, what if you just turned around and dealt with it? Um, that's what I'm trying to do more of is trying to be courageous with those emotions Uh, Trying to—you don't want to kick them out of the car, but you don't want to let them drive. Uh, And as a leader, becoming more emotionally healthy uh, is—it will make or break your ability to be promoted, to have more influence, because you just can't grow as a leader if you're not trending toward emotional health.
0: So it it almost sounds like this is like a— it's it's situational leadership on yourself it is like you a to d1 yourself
1: it is self leadership <laughs> it is 100% self leadership
0: but you have to recognize the moment and not let it and not let it pass cuz if you let it pass then that's exactly what you want to do even when you're aware of it you want to let it Yeah. You don't want to deal with it.
1: That's exactly right. Because it hurts because it probably comes from some point of pain. Uh, Negative emotions don't usually come from something positive. It usually comes from something negative. That's why it's a negative emotions. And that's why we don't want to deal with it. Um, I'm an Enneagram seven. So I love anything that's positive and happy and makes me feel good. I hate anything that's uncomfortable and painful. And so I avoid it at all costs. But I think... The reason why I feel so passionate about this is because I've never connected it until recently to a leadership concept Mm -hmm. that I've always wanted to be a leader and I want to grow in my influence. I want to be a person that is having a difference in this world that is making a dent on people that don't know Jesus. And if this is holding me back from leading my team, it's worth addressing. And I think that's what's so motivating to me is... Uh, this is maybe the greatest thing you could do as a leader is to grow in your emotional awareness, which would help you become a more a more emotionally healthy person, and it would help you become a better leader. But as long as those distractions are present in your life, you're you're more likely to just turn that noise up because now we don't really want to deal with it.
0: Hmm. Every church must be equipped to respond well in the initial stages when learning about instances of sexual, physical, or emotional abuse. And that's why the Southern Baptist Convention, LifeWay, and ERLC partner together to create Becoming a Church That Cares Well for the Abused. This training curriculum consists of a handbook, 13 uh, enhanced video sessions that brings together top experts from various fields to help volunteers and leaders understand and implement the best practices for handling a variety of abuse scenarios at church, school, or in your ministry. You can access these videos and this training and this book all for free at churchcares.com. Okay, so uh, I do want to talk about your book just for a little bit um, because I'm at least very interested in Two Things one, how does it dovetail back into yeah. how to lead when you're not in charge? Because it sounds like it does. Uh, because if you're not emotionally healthy and competent, then you're certainly not going to be able to lead well and you're not in charge. Uh, and you won't ever be in charge uh, if you don't <laughs> if you're not able that's, to do that. That's true. Um, so hit that one for me. And then I actually do want to know what are the four habits? Oh, uh, we haven't talked about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, real simply, I
1: um, this, the first book I wrote a couple of years ago, Leading When You're Not in Charge, is, it's just my own personal story of trying to, trying to see the potential of an organization versus seeing the obstacle of an organization. And I think so many people that feel stuck in the middle of an organization, I, I think if they could wake up to the concept that, it's influence, not authority, that makes it a great leader anyway. Oh, for sure. And so you can have influence wherever you are. And I know people say that all the time, that, oh, everybody's a leader because everybody has influence over someone. But even still, we think about the people that are under our influence. Um, there are people that are um, within arm's reach of your influence at, in every direction, left and right, uh, above you. Um, as well as below you, and learning how to be a leader that's leading through influence is the best kind of leadership. So this next book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, is really just, okay, so what? So if I want to start leading myself well, mm-hmm. which is one of the keystone habits of uh, leading when you're not in charge, I've got to turn down the noise uh, low enough and long enough to be ruthlessly curious of my emotions. It's what great leaders do. Uh, so I I hope the next book will be about leading others. And then I'd love to eventually be able to talk about leading an organization for performance, because I think that's really the, uh, that's the framework of leadership, leading yourself, leading others and leading an organization.
0: Very cool. All right, man. Well, I really appreciate what you've Uh, uh, what you've done here with this book and how it dovetails into the other one. So is there any book that uh, connected specifically with you other than Primal Leadership? Well, I mentioned Pete Scazzera. Yeah, Yeah,
1: Pete Scazzera, Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast is great, but I also think his book Emotionally Healthy Leader and uh, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is uh, those are both fantastic pieces of work. I feel like he's done a great job. I mean, he's a pastor, he's not a psychologist, but he's really put some of this um, psychology on a level that is accessible to people um, that don't work in the field of psychology or counseling, right. which I really appreciate. Uh, one
0: Another thing that's also very refreshing is, you know, I've noticed In the last couple of years um, specifically, because 5LQ has been going for uh, like five years now. It's hard to believe. But the last couple of years especially, um, you know, when you have Carrie, there's so many different people who've come on and said, "Uh, yeah, like a breakthrough moment for me was when I had counseling. Yeah. And these are not the guys that you would think Mm -hmm. would say something like that. And now I'm coming to. I've almost come full circle, and I'm like, well, actually, that's who I. I there's now been enough people that I would consider, uh, sex successful that I would want to emulate. Sexy, is that what you? <laughs> said? Carrie off yes. Yeah, have you not? <laughs> he's successful. Have you not seen? Him? <laughs> yes. Uh, Carrie, we do love you. Full circle. Full circle. Where yeah. it's like, hey. I, it, I no longer am floored by or uh, when somebody tells me that I've had counseling and there's somebody who I've wanted to emulate, yeah, then it makes total sense now. In fact, yeah. that's something I'm looking for yeah. uh, in that person.
1: Well, to me, it just shows there's a humility of counseling. Um, there you know arrogant people don't ask questions because they know it all. And, uh, going and sitting with a counselor, it's a humbling experience because, you know, you usually start with some kind of question, you know, they'll say, Hey, what's not working or why are you here? Right. And it's usually somewhere in your life that you feel stuck. And I I just think the, the concept of counseling, it's, um, it's such a worthwhile endeavor. I just see it. I put it in the same category as going to the gym. I mean, we wouldn't arrogantly be like, "Oh, I don't need the gym." I mean, we don't sometimes go to the gym because I don't want to or because we're lazy, um, but we just would rarely go. I don't need that. And I think the same thing is true about counseling. It's just it's it's emotional exercise. It's just working out. Um, It's stretching ourselves emotionally. It's deepening our well. Um, There's not a time that I go that I don't learn something that impacts my preaching. Um helps me become more in touch with myself, but also with other people um, that's one of my favorite things to ask a counselor whenever i'm if ever if i'm sitting down with one personally or just Talking to one in our church. Um, i'm constantly asking hey What are people asking you? Like what are people talking mm-hmm. about because they've got their finger on the pulse of what's going on in our culture right. more than anyone um, but I do think I, I Try to talk about it as much as possible because I think destigmatizing it is really important I think normalizing it is a healthy thing that it's a it's, um. It should be as normal as going to the gym, I think.
0: Good deal. All right, man, well, thank you so much uh, for being here with us, uh, actually live in person.
1: Live and in person in the Best new time. Lifeway offices. What do you think? Good grief. These are amazing. <laughs> well done. Oh, well, I tell
0: people, um, uh, you know yeah you gotta say it here, we
1: don't make a profit all that kind of stuff no oh okay that's not what I was gonna say okay sorry
0: uh, I was gonna say um, if you want to change people's view of life weight like, just bring them to the building bring
1: them to the building <laughs> Cause yes go, Whoa. introduce them to a couple people a couple different people yeah, they be like
0: oh, wow, great this is a lot different than what I expected it's great all right. Well, um, thanks again for thank you, Todd. Yeah. listening, and thank you uh, for being here, Clay. You can check out his book, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, and it is available actually right now wherever books are sold. Thanks for listening.